My grandma got shot in the face with a shotgun. What? When she was like 18. I don't even know if my mom's ever seen my mother's grandmother's face normal. It's her face, her nose bone. First of all, she lived. Can you believe that shit? To 99. To 99. To bring eight kids into the world in a slew of grandkids. But somebody tried to take her out back in the, in the deep south. And my granddaddy was like, I love her. I'll take care of her no matter what. These kind of relationships that get disturbed when we don't take the time to know what it is to say, to know how to Welcome to another episode of Tone the Fork. Tone the Fork. I have singer, songwriter, life liver, mm-hmm. dope house of secrets party thrower, the <laughs> <laughs> Bourbon. What's up? With me today. What's up? Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Thank you Since you me. came around the corner, the energy has just been amazing love it and i am so looking forward to uh to our conversation chat it up i got a uh how you feeling let me ask that i feel great i feel good i feel good i feel blessed okay yeah i um i got a confession to make okay i've had many opportunities to meet you and i have always been intimidated really that's crazy right me Mm mm-hmm i've been so intimidated there are people that I know from a peripheral standpoint who I am just so nervous to meet. I've seen you several times all over the place. Yeah. Because it's DC. And I've seen I you too. I have been so nervous. Even when the last time I saw you I remember. in Detroit. Yep. And I You were chill. I, I was nervous that. as shit. I thought about that. I registered that. So I didn't register nervousness. I just thought maybe it was just kind of quiet. Chill. Even when behind stage, backstage, yep. before you y'all. Yep. I'm always nervous. Nervous. That's yeah. so interesting. It's crazy, right? I don't know if that's flattering or if it's like because I I really like to make people feel at home. Okay. Like, I'm really like a I'm a love bug. Like, I'm, a, I'm a, a flower child. So I like to be like, hey, what's up? Give me a hug. You know what I mean? Like, I'm that girl. So someone did tell me in the last year or two, a good friend of mine was like, you know, you know, you like, you, you like intimidate people a little bit. I know some people that feel a little intimidated by you. And I was like, that is, that's a boo. No, no. I don't think it's you, though. I think, I think it's, I got to own it. Me personally, I yeah. do. Yeah. Because, and that's one of the reasons, I've been wanting to invite you on for a while. I've yeah. seen you way the two, in way too many places to yeah. just be like, <laughs> um, hey, Mia, <laughs> Mama. I've seen you in way too many places to feel that way. Yeah. So, and to have it, and you didn't feel that way today, right, when you came around? Not so at all. I wanted to admit that to that's you. That's so crazy. <laughs> and I wanted to admit it to you I on like camera. A dork. <laughs> <laughs> joke to people I'm like I'm a I'm a pretty cool dork you know I'm just like a little goofy cornball like a a big kid everybody who knows you has said nothing that who I know has said nothing but positive things but I hope so oh yeah Yeah. for sure um after inviting you on in preparation for 
this conversation, mm -hmm. I really wanted to first say, I love the way learning about you made me feel. Really? Yeah. Wow. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was... Um, like your music is your music, mm -hmm. and there, there, it, it is you one hundred percent, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But there, your story, and it wasn't until like going and listening to your interviews and mm -hmm. hearing you open up about mm -hmm. the the background behind why. First off, I want to give a shout out to the brother up in Baltimore, Forgotten Kings. Yeah, you. I don't. What is his name? Thomas. Thomas. Thomas, I reached out to you this morning, brother, and uh, and thanked you for the 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 um the care that you put into to learning about her. Yeah. Um, this is Tune the Fork, and I kind of take a different approach, but if anybody wants to know more about like the music, the projects from beginning to end, from the first one, he did an excellent job digging deep. I had a good time. Yeah, I it was a, a and I can time. tell that he loved. Yes. He was a fan of your music. Yeah. And we, um, we have now remained friends from that interview. I mean, like he's a he's a supporter. Yeah. That's really important. Like not even to just be a fan, but he is like he will go to the shows. He wants to be in that mix, and he really did his homework. I mean, we had a great conversation. I yeah. agree, mm -hmm. and and I and I reached out to him to say thank you. You gave me a lot of information, um, a, a, a lot of spaces that I could yep. kind of, you know, dig into and, mm -hmm. and, and what represents, you know, what I do here. But I, I, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge him. Props to you for that. And yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think I really appreciate and what I learned about the process or, or learned about where you are and learning about you mm -hmm. is like your story mm -hmm. and how it's almost if you are a fan of Deborah, you Deborah's music, you kind of mm -hmm. have to. I think so. Go back yeah. and, and, and get to learn about you. Yeah. So before we go into too deep, mm -hmm. you are a journalist person. Journalism. Yeah, I am a. Uh a documenter, a storyteller, want to know the story. I want to okay. get the story. Things that journalists do, whether it's from the newspaper or for the broadcasting or for the radio, you are, you're getting the, new, the story. So that's always been kind of a, a thing for me. For a long time, when I was much younger, I really did think I was going to end up on Dateline or like... Um, hmm. Do it, especially investigational reporting and like learning about uh, situations and um, because there was also a moment when I wanted to study law and so okay. um, crime those kind of things not only did I kind of grow up around that a little bit in my neighborhood I just had a, a fascination with that that whole lane so I would always want to dig and, and get the story and find out what's your point of view and what's your point of view and then beyond that also with journalism, I just am such a, uh, I just love people. Yeah. I just kind of want to know what's up with you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so journalism, documenting, piecing together a story, I feel like it's the same deal with music. So you interview people, right? Mm-hmm. 
Not as much anymore. What a, <laughs> let's use that aspect of who you are okay. to really just make this dope. Okay. I know you know what a good interviewer is, yep. so I ain't got to tell you <laughs> none of that, right? Yeah. You got it. Mm -hmm. So let's just, you know, to whatever capacity we're capable of doing that. Yeah. Because um, I've never interviewed an interviewer. So, yeah. or it, it, it may have been some time, but I, I feel like when it's in you, it's in oh, you, it's especially the, if you there. love people, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's there. You're originally from Connecticut, mm -hmm. and one of, one of the things that hasn't been clear to me and what I've absorbed about you from various areas is what childhood was like growing up for you in Connecticut, being the middle of three siblings mm -hmm. and your mom and all of that. And yeah. I, I really want as clear of a picture as, of that as, as, as I can have. Man, our childhood was fun. Um, it was, uh, I, you know, I'm a middle kid, but I feel like I'm just a, in a big old pool of kids because my mom, my mom is from a big family. She's one of eight kids, um, all very relatively close in age. Um, and all of her siblings had several kids and all kind of around the same time. So I ended up being like a lot of the time with my cousins um, and a lot of them were boys. Uh, so I was like, you know, sometimes what I imagine you ever seen Crooklyn? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, the little girl, the little mm -hmm. main girl. I was kind of, I was like one of the little boys. I was like okay. kind of a pipsqueak, real small, but kind of tough and like very adventurous and um, very, very, very imaginative. Um, Cause also, I was growing up in the 80s, so it was not, you know, YouTube and like, it wasn't even, I think we were hyped when Atari came. Yeah, you know? yeah, oh yeah, you for sure, like, Atari 2600 oh or whatever. Oh my goodness, I was tripping, you know, but before that it was like Connect Four and Big Wheels and I would, I, we were, we were very, um, contrary to what people might know, like we were, New Haven, Connecticut is, is like a more, it's like an inner city vibe, you know, so a lot of the time, my mom was a single mom for the most part. Um, and uh, when I was young, she was a hard, you know, working class mom. You know, they say our generation were like latchkey kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of felt that. Um, and so she would, my grandmother lived right up the street, my mom's mom and my, my granddaddy. They were right up the street. So a lot of the time when my mom was working, or even especially in the summertime, we'd all be at grandma's house, she, big two family house, and it'd be, not just me, my sister, my, my brother didn't come till eight years later, until I was about eight years old. But then Sean, Quincy, Ray Ray, Todd, Nikki, you know, we were just all like, and we, we would make our fun. I didn't, I didn't do some of the things that people might have thought. Like I didn't go to the YMCA, I still don't know how to swim. Um, oh, so, okay, so we found one. <laughs> Oh, there's more. I uh, know, I know, I oh, know. There's, there's a big one too that everyone is like, what? Yeah, um, don't know how to swim. And uh, we, 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 across the street from my grandmother's house was this like abandoned building. So that was like a playground. Like we, it was more of that kind of like, mm -hmm. I played baseball in the parking lot 
with my cousins. Like exploring is what we, we call it. We were exploring. We would yeah. just be in these buildings, yeah. like looking around. You know, real. I was definitely. I had this like fifty percent tomboy, and then this like fifty percent like Cabbage Patch Kids, and singing in the singing by myself with my hairbrush kind of thing. I was really shy about singing yeah. at that time. But times were fun. It was like, because we didn't have some of the distractions, you know? So mm -hmm. it was like, my cousins taught me how to ride a bike. My other cousin taught me how to tie my shoes. Like, you know, like very random things. It was very family, family oriented, very loud, very uh, northern. Like, yeah, yeah, oh my God, what are you, you know, like yeah. everybody, a <laughs> lot of people congregating at my grandma's house. I was also what I call a grandma's girl. Um, I spent time with her. I talked to her. I chilled with her. Like her, she could cook. Oh my God! Like, I is she still her. with us? I oh, miss okay. Her. Yeah, she's been gone for about four years now. Okay. And man, like, she was something. She lived to ninety nine. Ninety nine years old. Um, and from Perry, Georgia. She she's been in New Haven for my entire life, but she would cook that southern. You know, like I was a northern girl who ate country, country, country food. Like my granddaddy was eating. Pig feet and shit like my now, okay. Uh, yeah, all that, of that. <laughs> now, now here's here's what I'm concerned about. <laughs> Thank you for all of that. Please tell me you like chitlins. Come on, <laughs> man. I ate them. Okay. I did eat them. Okay. I mean, I had no choice sometimes. I mean, when I would go to my grandmother's house, my auntie, who is also just my favorite auntie who passed away two years ago, she um we her nickname, we had the wildest nicknames. My auntie Mary, we called her Aunt Booty. Uh, booty? Not even booty, like B-O-O-D-I-E, booty. Oh, okay. But not because she had a big booty. She, uh, she's like a teeny little person like me. I don't know where my family got that name. But Aunt Booty was big on cleaning fish, frying fish, making chitlins, making chicken gizzards, things like that. Ooh. I like gizzards now. Me I too. Gizzards and liver? You like, you like organs? I don't like liver. My mom loves okay. liver and onions and stuff. Gotcha. When it cooks sometimes, I can, I can like, with the onions and stuff, it kind of smells good, but when I get... To bite into that liver. Uh, but gizzards. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't had them in years, but I would be tempted if they came my way. Chitlins. I would walk in that door of my grandma's house, and my grandma had this long st staircase to her level, and then the bottom level was my Aunt Booty's level. And I could always open that door knowing Booty was making chitlins. Yeah, that aroma, you know? So that was always like, ugh. But, I mean, I probably had it all. My granddaddy... Cook raccoons. And things, yeah, you know what I'm and squirrel. Yeah. Did y'all eat squirrel too? I didn't eat it. My mother did. Okay. Yeah. My mom would joke about it now. She's like, "Well, we had squirrel." We and that mug would be laid out flat yeah. in the oven, and then, yeah, yep, like. Um, you know, so, I'm from Kansas. I so you you yeah. understand, yeah, and it's 100. crazy. My my granddaddy from deep deep into Florida, and grandma from Perry, like they just brought all of that with them. So mm -hmm. so many people think, "Oh, you're from Connecticut. What do you eat? Like quail?" <laughs> and I'm like, no. I mean, I. A lot of fried chicken, a lot of fried fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it was all fried fish and spaghetti. Like, you know, it was all, my grandmother did fried fish and spaghetti on Fridays and like a lot of pork chops and corn, a lot of cornbread and good eating, lots of um, making things up, like pretend type stuff with my cousins, like taking a cardboard box and go sliding down steps. And we were rough and tumbly kids. We were, we were it, was a, it was a fun time. My, my mother's siblings, they were, they're not so close. Um, and it's a lot of them. And so there was a, another flip side of growing up, which was seeing their interaction. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
more women than men. I think I got three uncles and then there's four four aunties. A lot of a lot of mm, with them. Um, it's Have y'all like, dug deep? I mean, I don't want to say deep, but has there been any? They not, and you know, what's, what's really frustrating is I, I do have this big obsession with like generations and the, like, well, I'll, you probably will hear me mention Generation X a lot because that's where I'm from. I don't like to categorize that way, but I can, the more I've done research and studied like why, you know, what was happening in the world at that time, with my, with my mom's peeps, with her family, they're from that. That generation that just doesn't want to like, they're not in a therapy. They don't want. They they still have a stigma over that, like talking through their stuff. So they were very aggressive people, mm-hmm. um, physical people, um, all of them. Okay. Um, and so there was this another avenue where sometimes cookouts would get kind of interesting. Um, also, a lot of drinking in my family, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. and that's just real talk, you know. Um, it, but the the wild thing about it was, for some reason, I think it made the cousins, their kids, want to be close. Oh wow! So we're all very close. Like, huh. um, all, we are very very close. Like, I don't see all those names I mentioned: Sean, Quincy, Ray, Ray, Todd, Nikki. I don't see them as cousins. I see them like you know, everybody yeah. makes the joke. You got your cousins, but they like more like your sisters and brothers. That's kind of how they were. We we kind of just went in a different direction. And then some of them who had children. We were still even close with their kids, who wow. felt more like first cousins, you know. Now, how many cousins? How many first cousins do you have? <laughs> uh, probably about twenty. Okay. Something like that, because there's eight of them, and I think only one of my uncle Bill he has one son, but everybody else has two to three, so. Maybe not 20. And my mom, it feels big. <laughs> my mom's the oldest of nine kids, mm-hmm. and I am the oldest of all of the cousins. And I think it might be like 30 of us mm-hmm. or 31. Like Ooh, it's, they it's, have in, a lot of kids. it's in the high 20s. Mm-hmm. I can't, there's so many of them, yeah. but. Um, you're, the, you're the first of the children? I'm the oldest cousin. Yeah, my mom was the first to have, to have, to have oh. kids. Yeah. And it's funny because, I don't want to say funny, but I interviewed my mom last month for the episode and a lot of things about our family Mm -hmm. came out Mm -hmm. in that conversation that Mm -hmm. I was unaware of but it really added some context around you know yeah why she was showing up the way that she was Mm -hmm. a lot of alcohol Mm -hmm. and all of that but it's like you know those generational patterns of just unhealthy ways of mm-hmm. responding. Just, mm-hmm. you know, we get an opportunity to do some different shit. Yeah, and I think that's what the cousins, I mean, we, we, we had our, you know, the cousins had some issues too here and there, but a lot of this, not even my generation of the cousins, like the next step down, like my, my brother's eight years younger than me and he has some second cousins who are like his age, even though they're his second cousins. They like college graduates, families with, you know, nice homes and things. My particular, the first, uh, the first set of cousins, there was a lot, you know, especially they were more boys. Um, we, we had some things in our family with incarceration and stuff like that. And some, a lot of baby mamas and things <laughs> like that, you know, gotcha. um, and it's so wild to be, you know what I just, just zoomed through my mind as we we're talking about this. 
And because I'm just like, I'm, I'm real talk. I, I don't really hold back. It's wild for me to still think, even though it's, this has been my story, that I never talk about my, my father's side. I never talk about, I mean, I, my parents were teens. My mom had me at 19. I have an older sister who's two years older. Um, and my dad, my dad did not live till 50. He lived till about, he lived till 49, um, or right before his, yeah, 49. And it's been over 10, it's been about 10, more than 10 years now. It's just wild to think like, he was there, he was in the city, but I don't have a storyline that goes, all of my childhood memories. I think my parents, I was at my parents' wedding and they were, they were done by the time I was maybe like four. Now you, um, you yeah. said somewhere that he was a, a, a black Hebrew Israelite? Sure enough was, I mean, I don't know, I've probably mentioned it in other interviews because it's, it's like hilarious to me now, but I used to hate it growing up, but he gave me all these, this long name. I have like three middle names, and they're okay. all based on his, his activity in that world. So my name, Deborah is actually Hebrew. Deborah is in the Bible, powerful woman in the Bible. Um, she was a prophetess, uh, and she was the only female in the book of Judges, and she also led an army and like won a war, with, like commanded all these brothers. Yeah. That's the real woman king. She the woman king. And, then the, and she also was the one that everyone would come to for advice, which is the story of my life with my friendships. It's very wild how many parallels with Deborah. But uh, Deborah is a Hebrew name. My name is Deborah Naomi Bente Zebulun Bond. And I used to hate that name growing up because, you know, 80s. <laughs> we did not have a lot of pride. I will yeah. say that about any black African, you know, we didn't have that back then. So yeah. it would be like African booty scratcher. You know, yeah, that was a yeah. way of insulting somebody. Yeah, you know what sure. I mean? Yeah. And so my cousins would be like, be quiet, Deborah. Like they would just like try to spell my name out and say all this stuff. And then um, as I got older, and actually when I lost my father, I began, my mother become, became very sentimental, I will say, because that was her heart, high school like sweetheart type. And she would tell me a lot of stories about my father around like with him naming me and how he like, I had like no name for a quick minute because he was like pondering it and like he, there's a stigma with the, the Hebrew Israelites of today. Okay. Uh, I don't have any involvement with it, so I don't really know what the rep is, but people would be like, oh, he was, he yeah, was yeah. probably very militant. He was actually um, a bit militant for in the 70s and mm -hmm. probably 80s, but um, so, but back then, I don't know. It didn't sound like what my mom told me. He would be like on the corner with all the dudes like screaming yeah, at yeah. you. He just, he went to temples and things, and I think he wanted me to be a boy. And so my mom would tell me that um, he would take me to these temples where the brothers would bring their sons. And they would bring, them, bring the boys to this minister and they would anoint you with oils and they would pray over you and speak over you. And my mom said she really hated that. She was like, she's a little baby girl. I don't. <laughs> and he'd be like, she's coming with me. And mm. he would bring me there and they would, she said that they would just speak all this power over me. And all of that I feel now. Like really? I feel, like it's so wild that I didn't grow up with him. I had moments with him. When I got older, I, I had to like, had to work on some stuff for myself as far as forgiveness and things like that. But I did, especially before he passed. Um, you got that time? I did. Not, not 
in the healthiest state. It was really on his decline. But I, I sat with him. He, heard, my first album was out, and he was like, "Oh, he got to bad. hear it." He was like, "My uncle, his brother, his younger brother, who lives in Maryland, told me a story that he played a song uh, for my first album called Giving Up." And because um, the chorus is, I'm not giving up, I'm not giving up. And he said he wanted to play it for my father to encourage him. So he said, yeah, man, I got something I want you to hear. This is in the hospital. He's like, you're going to love this. Because my father loved music. He was a big P-funk, funkadelic, he, all of that. So my uncle said he put it on. And he said my father was in the hospital bed. Like, this is, this is good. Who is this? And he's like, it's Deborah. And he said my father just bursted into tears just bursted into tears. So I, when I saw him, mm. we, we spoke about that. We spoke about like the music. Hilariously enough, I was dating a white guy at the time. He was not happy. Even on his deathbed, he was like. <laughs> <laughs> no kumbaya. <laughs> no kind of kumbaya. He was like, <laughs> he made this face like, mm-hmm, heard about your little boyfriend. I was like, yeah, oh. go ahead, pop. Still who he is. Yeah. Still who he is. But um, what kind of man was he? It's a good question. Very good question. All I know is what my mom's told me. And for a long time, from her mouth, he ain't shit. You know, okay. real talk, you know, but um, I got you. But extremely spiritual. Um, was not messing with pork. He was on that tip, you know, not not in the pork. My mom made this joke and I know where she was going with this joke about what kind of man he was. She said, Deborah, your father loved Rifa. <laughs> Loved it. She did what, she'll say that to me like, even though you didn't grow up with him, I think you got a lot in common. <laughs> she doesn't even know. My mom is very conservative, very conservative. Um, and I think that was her way of being like, you smoking? Because <laughs> uh, she was like, he loved, you know, calling it Reefa. That's so hilarious. Yeah, that's so that's old so school. 70. That's so Reefa and Herb. And Herb, she called it. She called it Reefa. She was saying father love. So I know he was a pothead. <laughs> um, I know he was uh, very spiritual, and I know he was a he was a music lover. My mom, it's funny because all of that's in me. And yeah. my mother's like, he was heavy into funkadelic. Like he was a big funk guy. Um, Brothers Johnson and all many Ripperton and and it's all the stuff that I like go nuts for now. Um, now was the uncle who brought him your song the one who told you that funk was in you or that's something? That's my mother's baby brother. Okay, <laughs> that's Uncle Dave. What's up, Uncle Dave? Because you were hundred percent on point. It's uh, in you. Hundred percent on point. He said, "Boy, you know the funk lives in you." He told me that as a little little girl. And I was like, That's right, Uncle Dave. The funk lives in me. Yeah, he. Yeah, I feel like it was. You know what's funny? That's my mother's baby brother. This, my mom's the second to youngest, and my uncle David Funketeer then opening for his band, opened for. P Funk, every time they came to New Haven, huh. like for over 20 years, like anytime they came to New Haven, my uncle's band, which was called Rear View, would open for, for P Funk. Rear View? Rear View. Like oh, Rear View. view. Like okay. Rear view I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was like things are closer than they appear. Yeah. It's like some the, uh, meatloaf song. Yeah. There's some, there's some stuff to oh. why they call themselves that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, my uncle, my other uncle, my uncle Nate, who is older than my mom, my uncle Nate and my father were friends. I think that's how my, my moms met him. Okay. Um, and 
Yeah, I, I, I think he was a wild child trying to find his way. I feel like, um, and he also didn't have his dad. Uh, he, my, my grandfather on my dad's side died in a fire, like, uh, like from a cigarette. So there might have been some of that, you know, that leaked into how he dealt with fatherhood. Mm -hmm. He was definitely a rolling stone. I do have some half siblings out there. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. He was a cutie pie and very fashionable. I'm, 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 I'm into that. What's I, the brother's name? Vincent. Vincent. Okay. Vincent. Yep. He was. He was. Uh, the the ladies loved him. Uh, half black, half Portuguese, hazel eyes. The seventies. You know, fluffy fro. Oh uh, yeah. Yes. Gregory Abbott is on yeah, the radio. Like yeah, that kind of you know. Uh, so Billy D. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so my mom's got got you know, but I'm here because of it. Shout but, out. But I, I do I do think that um I'm very moved when I hear about the temple and, and that whole thing because when he passed away. I did like a deep dive into Deborah, the story of Deborah in the Bible. And I didn't grow up in the church. They were teens. They were kind of, my mom would jump from religion to religion. We did that. She'd wear the white, you know, with the, with the Israelites. And then we moved to seven-day Adventists. And then we kind of landed in Baptist Christianity, you mm -hmm. know. But I, I never was, I was not the kid that grew up in church singing. So many people ask me that. They're like, you, you must have been singing in church. Had like, to be. Nope, I'm listening to Funkadelic Records and listening to whatever was on the radio, MTV, and whatever my mom and dad was listening to, that's what I was into. But um, when, I, when I looked up the story of Deborah, man, wow. And then thinking about how much, my mom just really emphasized how much he pondered on my name. Like he pondered, she was like, he really, really thought about what it was going to mean to your existence. And so Naomi's another person in the Bible. I know Deborah's story a bit more than Naomi's story. Binti, B-I-N-T-I, is a, a Swahili term for like daughter of. And then okay. Zebulun is one of the tribes of Israel. And they would call my father Zeb. Like, they, that was some kind of nickname for him. So it was kind of like Binti Zebulun. It was like this, the daughter of Zeb and then from this tribe. And, and then I looked, I looked up Zebulun. I looked up the tribe of Ze I just looked up all the stuff. And it was, like, spooky almost because I was reading something like the tribe of Zebulun. They, they, their power was in, like, poetry and, like, <laughs> Um, art and words and wow. I was that I mean it gave me like woo kind of feeling and like between that tribe and between Deborah like being amongst all these men and I grew up with all these boys and I was kind of like I've always been one of the boys even when I moved to DC like I've built like a big family here and a lot of them are my brothers mm -hmm. you know um, and so I I feel more connected to him now mm. than ever because I just that's beautiful I feel like man like one I look more like him than my mom okay um and I, I feel that energy I feel the love of the funk I feel the love of I feel the power that in my name and mm. being in a male-dominated industry and and then I read something um that Deborah led an army and, a, and she commissioned or she, she brought on someone named Barack to 
to help her win this war. I just thought that was interesting. I just like told the universe, well, what, how are you going to get me to Barack? How are you going to get there? <laughs> to win this war. You know, to win this war in this world. Yeah. You know? um, so, you know, I, I don't really have... It's just really always interesting telling my story because it's always on the on the maternal side. And that's really, it's the thing that sticks out the most to me. Because um, I just, I, I suppose I have a natural disposition of not just listening to what people say, but what they don't say. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot there as well. Yes. And it's not, and... and and we all are, you know, kind of like repeating these patterns that that have been laid out for us in life, even in how we typically respond to stuff. Because mm-hmm. we know that, okay, if I go down that path, then that means it's going to open some more doors. Yeah. And that might be something, not to say it's necessarily bad, yeah. it's just not a path that I normally take. Yeah. Um, I like to tell my story, though. My mom, she won't, she won't like all this information being put out there. Salute <laughs> to you, mom. But she's extremely private. Um, okay. And I'm not. Um, so... At that last time I saw him in the hospital and he was looked like a whole different human being and uh, having him call me every now and then and like he would just kind of, I could almost hear him going away. Like that was very impactful. And, and you know, and the, the universe don't play no games with me because I told my ex at when he would bring up my father, because he came from a, a two-family home. They were still, family, dad and mom, still together for all those years. I would say to him, you know, if, if he passes, I don't even think I'll care. I said that to my ex. And when he passed, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. I was a complete mess. It's funny you mentioned that when I first moved to Kent, when I first moved here, I went to live with my dad. And... He and I didn't really know each other. Mm-hmm. I was like meeting him. He was very active in my life up until I was around eight years old. Mm-hmm. I would see him on a very consistent basis. And then, you know, it became less consistent, less consistent. Mm-hmm. And um, I was going through some crazy stuff in Kansas City, so I needed to come to, needed to get away. Mm-hmm. The only place to go was here. My yeah. dad was here. So I was like, I need to get out of here. I need to come live with you. I kept having a dream of my father passing away over and over and over and over and over again. Really? I'm big on dreams, man. And I never cried in any of the dreams. Mm. And this happened for about two months, Mm. three months. Mm. I had the dream again and bawled like a fool. In that dream, mm-hmm. and I distinctly remember waking up and saying, now I love my dad. Whoa. And I never had the dream again. I never had the dream again. That's powerful. That is like, that's powerful. And I, because I, 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 I felt so disconnected from him in the beginning. I just saw him as a man. Like I knew who he was, but there Same. was no connection. I never so got to get one. The emotional burden that one would generally feel from a loss, just no work had really been done up to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Say it. I, I, I mourned what could have been. I, that for me was what it was. I, I really went, kept replaying the what if I would have 
let that door open to us just talking as adults, where will we be now? I always, I, I tell people this all the time, I always wanted to be a daddy's girl. My best friend of my longest living friend just lost her daddy like two months ago. She always was a daddy's girl. I used to just want that. Like I'd go to her house and was really close with her family. Her family was cool with my family. And so we would spend a lot of time together. And seeing the way her dad was, and they was country, big old country family. I was just like, I wish I had that. Like I want, I want a dad, I want to be a daddy's girl, you yeah. know? And I wasn't a mama's girl either. Me and my mom, teen time, didn't do very, we bump heads <laughs> a lot. I'm very um, wild and she's very strict. But, um, and now we're just like sisters, which is so wild how life goes. But I wanted that and I, I never got it. And I, this conversation has happened many times, but for real, for real, it definitely uh showed itself in my relationships. That's just what I was going. Definitely showed itself as like a combination of soft and hard, actually. Like, I'm gonna be all right. I could take care of myself a little bit. And then on the flip, I want you to want me. And I want you to like, want only me. And I like, I need, I wanted a certain level of, um, pedestal like hell and not in the the way that people might think today with these girls some of these yeah, it's a different these thing. girls are kind of wild for the night with their demands and things but i just really wanted i wanted the guy to want to hold my hand and be like this is my girl you know like all of this like look at who i because i i really do realize i wanted my dad to do that you know and so i had i had difficulty in relationship i mean i i attracted guys like him like, I mean, I, the reason I made a tribe of all of these brothers is because I dated a, a basketball player and, like, became, actually was tight with his boys before he even came into my life. And then it, then it kind of became, like, everybody calls me Debo from, from college on. They're like, oh, Debo, you know, like, Debo's with him now, whatever. And then when it didn't work out, I mean, why on earth would I choose to date a basketball player in college? Why? Like, team wasn't even that good. <laughs> but you a basketball player, you're six foot six. I shared him with many, you know, and I felt like I was, I, to me, I would analyze like my dad and him not being there and this guy and one of these guys to want me and not feeling enough for guys. Mm. Not feeling enough was like a theme, you know, and I feel like that was really because of not having that father figure make me feel that way because a handful of my girlfriends who I will say are in relatively strong relationships all of them had their dads mm. and one or two of them had these like you are a queen type dads like you don't let no like that and they, yeah. and they would just be like no man's gonna do nothing to me yeah. and it was and they they have great partners and for me it was like lord I was I was really um walking towards guys like my father for a little while. And then it, it made me go into this complete opposite of my father direction where like introverted guys and quiet guys and not very social guys. So I didn't have to worry about who they looking at. <laughs> so, um, so that was almost like a, a overcorrection in a yes. way. Yeah, okay. because I am an, I am an 
extrovert with many introverted tendencies. I, I can be very lonerish mm -hmm. a lot of times, but I have a lot of friends, and I mean a lot. I, I have everybody that dates me is like, "Who are you hanging out with tonight?" I'm like, "Oh, Vanessa's coming through," or "Oh, I'm gonna go and see Ken and, the tw and his kids." And yeah, yeah. So I have, and I mean like just bubbles of like high school and then American University and then the music world and then the radio world. I have, I've made like close friends and it yeah. can be intimidating for a, a guy to deal with that with me if they're introverted and they don't really want to be around all these people and I'm the girl throwing the parties and I'm the girl on the stage and all of that. But I feel like a little bit of that for a time of my life, a bit of that was like, this fear of my father's type, just like I don't want a popular guy. I tried that with, with the ba basketball player, and nope, I want somebody who's like shy and like not gonna be in everybody's face because that's gonna protect me from potential, you know, hold him. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but yeah. you weren't, I don't, so in both of those situations, it's not really addressing the internal piece that needs to be. Nope. So worthiness and when you were you were in a 14 year joint, right? Mm -hmm. That ended yep. in 15, 20, 16, 20, top of 2016. OK. Mm -hmm. Recognizing the pattern or the overcorrection, if you will, at that time, what kind of adjustments have you made? If any, <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I Since then, <laughs> mm, I don't know if I've all the way made that adjustment. Um, I, you got I, a pretty introvert. Um, <laughs> you gonna, yeah, you want to try to mix them in now? <laughs> after my ex, I, I after my ex, I took a stroll down Cougarville. <laughs> okay, that and went right back to my daddy type. Like with the youngins, like dating young, flashy, wild for the night. Oh, I'm the cougar. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, I went all right on down cougar. Like, I, I mean, I attracted when it became a thing that Debo was single because it was a known. I'm a girl about town. You know, I was always in the club, always at the events, always at everything. And everybody knew who I was with because he was a, he's a musician and great guy. And like, we people loved us together, actually. Really, really, okay. he's a good human being. We didn't end on a horrible, like nothing, just grew. Yeah, know. yeah. But um, when word on the street that Debo was free, then I'm like, it just, for some reason, because I was like, that was 2016, so six years ago. So I was like 39, 38, 39. Everybody was like Shooting their 25. Shot. Oh, wow. 26. Oh, so you went way back. I went down. I went, like, I lived some, I was around cougar. <laughs> I can admit it. I, mean, I got you. I, got I didn't you. even, this, I don't have no <laughs> No, nah, I can tell. You look, I look at your face. I see all kind of memories popping up. Go hey, ahead. Hey, you know, it's all right. I mean, Pros and cons, <laughs> pros and cons. Um, but I, so I, it's weird because I, I went a little towards my father's direction again, and then got a wake up call that I probably need to like 
slow on down and like I'm still I'm still attracting introverts. <laughs> it was like I don't know. What, um, what yeah. So I think I don't want to go down that path because I think we're going to get there another way okay. when we go somewhere else. So okay. there's something that I've always wanted to listen to someone share who I haven't had an opportunity to. And you mentioned it earlier. You have a sibling with special needs. Mm -hmm. um, and you are the middle child for, and you were that up until your brother came at eight years, eight years, you know, after. Mm -hmm. What is that like, mm. having, being a sibling of a child of a? Of a it, it's intense, actually. It's beautiful, and hard and complicated all in one because we're such a different time now. There's so much more knowledge, and there's just so much more information, and. For her to be born in 74, um, gotta tell, I just have to tell this quick story. My sister, I always call her an angel because she, I don't think she was like, people, in, people didn't want her to live. I think this is 74. Uh, you know, 17-year-old girl has this child. She's, my, my grandparents are actually they were older, so they were a part of the whole thing, but they were kind of, they didn't have, my grandmother had a fifth grade education, you know? And so my mom's got people telling her, she's like, you know, all this bad stuff about you can't have pr proper babies and all this stuff. And my sister, with, with uh, Down syndrome people, um, they have like enlarged tongues. Okay. They kind of look all alike a little bit. They have very similar kind of eyes, and they have a tongue that kind of is a little bit larger. Because of that, my sister was not like suckling like anything, like milk, anything. Um, and it became a problem in the hospital because they were like, she's gotta eat or she's gonna like starve. Mm. And the doctors, according to my mom and my grandma, all of them, they, the doctors were kind of like, we should just let her die because she's retarded. And my mom, to this day, she was like, your granddaddy was like, ain't no grandchild of mine gonna be left here to die. We're gonna take her home. We're gonna take care of her. And my mom said what she would do, because she would not like latch, you know, mm -hmm. um, she would put these little, just give her little droplets of stuff. She would just be like, it was so time consuming, but I was gonna make sure Tamisha got that milk. Like she, she my mother was like, my granddaddy was like, we gonna figure this out. And so they brought her home. And from what my mom says, the, and on top of that, my sister also had um, like a heart murmur, like okay. a little bit of a heart um, issue. So they were, you know, in that time period, that's like, you know, ignorance, all of that. They're trying to convince her, just let her die, put her in a home or something. That is definitely not my mother's Leo personality to give up on anything. And so my mom was like, we got, my mom and my granddad, she always says that my granddaddy was just like, she is going to live. And so 
I think the combination of my mother's gentleness and my granddaddy's like, um, and my mom also told me that, and this is how, you know, it's, it's one of the keys of life, but music. My mom would sing to her all the time and just try to keep her active and awake and alert. And I really think that that kept her here. And so by the time I came along, my sister's two years older than me, I don't think I really even understood that she was different until I got around other people. But mm -hmm. within my household, it was just the two of us and yeah. my mom. And I didn't, you know, and my mom was also dating. My mom's in her 20s. It's crazy for me to think, like, my mom was, like, kicking it. It's like, crazy, right? Yeah, I was like, I was a little kid. She's kicking it. But she was, you know, dating. She was very protective. And, um, and she, she poured that into me. And so I immediately became, I was very protective of my sister. But it's a cruel world out there, man. Like, and at that time, the, the ignorance was on another level when it came to, to special needs. And because now we're at a time where you don't even, people don't even use the term retarded, you know what I mean? But back then. Yeah, that was, that was standard. You know, standard. So um, it was a very interesting childhood for me in respect to my sister because when, when I was at my grandmother's house, my sister would kind of parlay in my grandma's bedroom and play with dolls and things. And I would be with the boys outside. But when it was like home time, growing up with my sister was, it was uh, quaint. It was, it was, because we couldn't have a conversation. Like, they, they were, so there was also that. So like I was saying, the wanting to be daddy's girl. I also wanted to have like a sister. We do each other's hair. Yeah, 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 None yeah. of that. It was like, and I think it's partly why I am very comfortable by myself. Because my sister would be in the room. We, we always shared a room growing up. I never had my own room. Always shared a room. But she was just there. She didn't, she would communicate with me. She would um, tell me if she wanted something to the best that she could. She speaks very fragmented. We would try to teach her how to say things in a complete sentence, but that's very tough for her still to this day. Um, so there were times when I would just kind of be in my own world and kind mm. of imaginative, but I was really like, she was like my baby sister. So um, making sure that like I would put music on in the room and I would go, we had our two little twin beds and I'd go sit on her bed and we would be rocking from side to side. She loves music and she would retain mm. music. She would um, do this thing. She would come like this. <laughs> I'm Uncle Dave. Uh, where she'd stomp, put your foot on the rock. Yeah, she'd yeah, do yeah. that, you know? And um, she would love, she sings the song, Don't Call Me Whitey. <laughs> she Don't knows call me Digga. Whitey. She, <laughs> she's like, she, it wouldn't be as clear, but we knew that that's what she was saying. She was really like, I don't want to say almost like my little, like, sister doll, because I would, she, beautiful hair at the time growing up. I always wanted to do her, comb her hair, tell her she's pretty. You're so pretty, Misha. And she became a little dainty in that way. I mean, we, we took pride in making her stand out from other special needs kids. So by the time she got to like middle school age, she was more so in programs than in school where mm -hmm. they would teach her life skills or try to get her motor skills or as advanced as, advanced as they could. For right, her to right. have severe downs, it was not easy. But like, she got to a grade where they wanted to throw the kids a prom. Don't tell my family that. We got a stretch limo, this pink 
like we in the families of the other kids were like, <laughs> like they were so shocked as if she didn't deserve. That. Yeah, like this is what we would do for you. Right. So I'm like, Misha gonna be fly. Like, you no, know I mean, she's gonna be fly because that's you know we want to make sure you know that we value her and that we don't want her to to have any less than any other person. So we were very big on that kind of thing. And I was, I was, I was very, very, and I still am like very like, don't you, don't, don't come to, don't come for my sister. But the crazy thing is, even still, I dealt with a lot. Like I dealt with my friends picking on her mm. or not picking on her directly to her, but laughing a little bit. My neighbors, big family next door, Hoodish. They see her, start laughing. We coming in the house, coming from school or wherever. Um, my mom would dress us like twins when we were little. She'd dress us, and we both looked like my father. She looks even more like my father than, than me. She would dress us like little twins, and I thought it was the coolest thing, you know. But people, people are cruel, you know. Um, I had a lot of people act like they were so scared of her, like mm. she was an animal. That was a, a, a really tough part of it for me like this whole animal like she's a creature why is she doing that why is she crazy. doing that you know those kind of questions and that shit would make me mad I'm, i mean that it would make me so mad but i i call her my angel because i feel like it blessed me because i i have such a compassion for humans yeah. not just special needs my, my mom really raise my brother and I to just be good people, just to be kind to people, yeah. just to be kind to people. And through seeing such lack of kindness towards my sister, it made me even more want to not be that kind of person yeah. and be an understanding person of everyone's situation. Um, and, and so I, I feel like as much as I didn't have like that companion, like in us in the room yeah. putting on our makeup or talking about boys or whatever, I just gained character, you know. And um, you didn't get what you wanted; you got what you needed. Exactly. Yes, that. And I, I'm I'm thankful, you know. And there are Downs people who are way more advanced. You know, I mean, I used to watch the show Life Goes On with the actor Corky was the lead guy in his mm. first television show where the lead actor was a Down Syndrome boy. And I thought that was like mind blowing because there are, there are other kids that are more advanced. So it, it, there was just a lot. I've always grown up with oddities like that. Like always, like I really am going to write like a memoir or some kind of book when I slow it all the way down <laughs> because I've always lived with that kind of stuff. Like there's so many stories but from, from my mother's mother, my grandfather, my sister, and then my stepdad's daughter. When my stepdad and my mom got together around, I was about 10, my mom has two daughters. My stepdad has two daughters. His oldest has mental handicap as well. Wow. So I had two and they came to my life in hard. Like they came in like, we doing family gatherings with them, and and uh, you know, shout out to Dana and Dion. Dana, Dana has a condition called water on the brain, so mm. her head is a bit larger. Her she's way more advanced than my sister. We could talk, you know, but she's um, developed a bit mentally slower. But gotcha. Um, I used to have to deal with it double time because people would stare at her too. 
you know? Mm. And so, and people would stare at my grandma because some, some wild shit happened to my grandma. My grandma got shot in the face with a shotgun. What? When she was like 18. I don't even know if my mom's ever seen my mother's grandmother's face normal. It's her face, her nose bone. First of all, she lived. Can you believe that shit? To 99. To 99. To bring eight kids into the world in a slew of grandkids. But somebody tried to take her out back in the, in the deep south. And my granddaddy was like, I love her. I'll take care of her no matter what. And he, he married her yet and still. And this isn't a time I can't even imagine. This isn't a time where, you know... <sighs> The hospital, she said the hospital experience alone was just horrible. Like, no no proper pain medication, all that stuff. Shot Hold in the face, yo. Hold on for a second. Yeah. I got a process. Mm -hmm. Your grandmother, before having any kids. Before having any kids. Gets shot in the face. Your grandfather says, I love her. I'm going to take care of her. We're going to stay together. And then they go out they and have eight. Where'd they move from? Florida? From, uh, from Perry, Perry, Georgia. Georgia. From Move from Georgia to Connecticut. First Georgia to Boston, where my first aunt was born. And then they brought her to Connecticut and had the rest. Yeah. And this is like, what, 50s? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like your grand like your grandfather is that dude. Yeah. I mean grandma too. They, but my granddaddy is the man. I mean, like, first of all, I told you he's, he saved my sister's life because he was my mom said he was like, no, we are bringing her home. Like she like he brought my grandmama home. What's your grandfather's name? William. William Reeves Sr. Mm -mm -mm. I miss him too. I miss, I miss them both. That's a strong couple right there. Strong couple. Did, you, did they ever find out why your grandmother got shot in the face? Now, here's the wild part. Here's the wild part about stories and family stuff. I all, <laughs> it's so wild how my, how my life is gone. I, for many years growing up, thought, had this story in my mind that it was like some white man in the deep south that shot her because of some racist shit. I, I really did believe that. And it, it directed some of my feelings towards white people for a, a while. Um, how ironic I end up with a white guy. <laughs> See, I'm telling you, write a book. Um, but as I, not, I don't want to say not long before she passed because it was, it was way before then. But one day I was over and just have, I would have breakfast with her. Every time I went to Connecticut to visit, from 17 on, the very first, I get out off the train and go to her grandma's house. I had to be with her. I had to have my time with her. And she told me one day what happened. Um, and it was not what I thought. My grandmother, as the story goes, and I, my grandmother was adopted. A lot of her personal history is just gone, destroyed, and, and fires and things in the South. So we don't even know her exact birthday. There's a lot of holes in her, her story. But the story that they, everybody talks about, my granddaddy's people's and my grandmother's people's, is that she was really beautiful. Grandmother has this really ready kind of 
red goldeny brown skin and really long, long, thin, straight hair. And the um, story goes that she was like the looker of the neighbor of, of where she was growing up. And a lot of people fancied her. And she was um, one night traveling home from doing something. I don't even remember where she said she was coming from, but she was traveling home and she, this, it, was getting, it was dark, it was getting dark, so she tried to take this little shortcut um, to get close, to get home as soon as she could, and this man who was in love with her was like, who's out there? And she was like, it's Mary, it's me. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just passing through. And she said that he knew it was her, and he knew her, and... She never, she was young too. She, she wasn't interested in him. And um, she said that would, that would really upset him. She wouldn't get with him. And he acted like he couldn't see who it was and he didn't know, he couldn't hear, and he felt threatened. And he pulled out a shotgun and said, who's on my land? And she was like, it's just, and he just shot her. Shot her. Here's a wild thing. I don't think he lived long after that. <laughs> You know the South now. According, according to old family stories is that my grandmother was so loved that it might have been some street justice. Yeah. Um, to whoever this, and it was a black man. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the story that I thought it was. It wasn't the story that I thought it was. But my grandmother would talk about wow. how painful that was as far as just going from this beautiful woman to just, I mean, shattered parts of her cheekbone, broke this. So there was like all my life I saw like an indentation here and here and some scarring. Um, and her teeth were really messed up. Nothing with her eyes? Nothing. Well, she had glasses. Um really, really poor vision, but didn't, nothing with her, she could see, like, eyes all right. Just, it was more like right here. Okay. And I don't know if it was because of what kind of, like, how she lived. I don't yeah. know. Like, yeah. I don't know what type of, it just looked, so it must have just blasted, like, and shot, like it didn't go through Like buckshots. Yeah, they, it yeah, didn't go through anything. It just, just crushed all of this. And so that's what I grew up seeing. So I already had an idea of difference, you know? But then my granddaddy had um, all these businesses growing up. He lost his left arm in a construction accident. Um, just got caught in a cement mix. Her husband? Granddaddy, yep. So my granddaddy had one arm and my grandmother's face was deformed. And this was my mom, my family's parents. So my mom was like, do you know how much people would make fun of our parents? Like, call us like misfits kids and Frankenstein and all this stuff. So I've, I've always just had a sensitivity like to different people, people mm -hmm. who don't look like other mm -hmm. people, people who had it harder, who've, um, because my grandmother really, my grandmother didn't drive a car. She didn't like, my mom said that she, wouldn't come to the school plays and stuff. She was really embarrassed at how she looked. So she, she stayed home and took care of the family. My granddaddy worked. And then in his own job, 
So with granddaddy, I used to always like help him. And this was way back in the day. So he would put the thing on it that all it had was a hook kind of a thing to, for his arm. But for the most part, um, and I'll have to show you this article written about him. It's a powerful article. We have it framed. But you can see just like, you know, him just standing in the, in the shirt with this thing hanging down. And I never seen him with two arms. I never seen him with two arms. That happened before I was born. So between the two of them, and then here comes my sister, like, I feel like I, I always grew up seeing, seeing life in an interesting view because of that. And it's so... Um, I know it's all heavy. <laughs> no. It, it, but it's real. You know? I, I appreciate so much you sharing that part of your, of your lineage. Um, because what I feel it does is like I said in the beginning, I love the way learning about you made me feel. Mm. And through the process of you starting your musical career and releasing the albums and going through you know, um, success and then having to manage, you know, what you're going to do, you know, moving forward. Mm -hmm. And again, like anyone who knows you, this is Tone the Fork. It's not going to be like a traditional, like, mm -hmm. hey, what'd you do with that album? Yep. What'd you think? Yep. But I like that. <laughs> Compass is about you embracing a part of your life and who you are and what you're going to be doing and how you're going to do it with the next piece. Yeah. And everything I'm hearing you talk about with your grandparents and with them trying to come to terms and making peace and finding a way forward and owning to the best of your ability, like who you are yeah. is so profound because even as I'm listening to the music, there's this, there, there, um, there are two things that kind of come to my mind when I'm listening to Compass, and it's strange because I think it's the first song, Time. Mm -hmm. And there's this, I think, conversation. I feel like there's a conversation you're having with yourself about time definitely and how you're going to manage who you think you are who you want to be yes. who you're going to be yes. relative to how much time you've lived yep and how much time is left is left yeah and i never not until this time have i been there like now, that song couldn't have been written five years ago, seven years ago. It was written in 2020, when I was probably 20. I started writing at the end of 2019 into 2020. But it was in the kind of a, in a, in a heightened feeling of loss, being just feeling straight up like lost, mixed with the 
ever-present bullshit of, I'm supposed to be here at this point in my life. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to. It, well, that didn't happen. Am I going to dwell on that? Am I going to live in that? Or am I going to move forward? I've always felt like I was a little ahead of my time. I've always been a little teeny bit of an old soul, when it, especially when it comes to music. And so, yeah, that, that song, I, ugh, that song, I, I consider that a little bit of, of my midlife crisis song. Um, because you do hear a lot in life. You know what, I, I'm I wrote this line. How many times have I heard that you've got nothing but time? Because I always had this thing for wanting to be older. Like now, this generation, nobody want to be old. It's like, yeah. live like it's your last, you're young for life, never getting old. But for me, for some reason, I wanted to be, it was more so wanting to be grown. Yeah. I wanted to be an adult. Yeah. I wanted to make my own rules. I wanted to be like Janet and have control, right? And people would be like, slow down. You don't have nothing but time. I would hear that a lot because people recognize that in me, that I wanted to like. Because that's what you tell young people. Yeah. That's what you tell young people. You ain't got nothing but time. You slow down and, and enjoy life, you know? And so, and coupled with the fact, just as a funny aside, that I've always looked a lot younger than I am. So when I was like 15, I looked more like 12, yeah. you know, like 11, like real tall. Like I didn't really look, still having people like, you're not pushing 50, right? Same, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I, I, I make this joke that something with 76, 74. I agree. We had something special in our milk or something. I don't there know, you man. go. There we you go. Want, it's like every time, too. I agree. Like, so I, knew, I knew you was from that same, yeah. But I never ever felt until more recently that time is like speeding up now like time is feeling like it's running out for for am I gonna be anything in this music world am I gonna have a husband am I gonna be a mama all these questions that have to do with like time is about to start ticking faster now what you gonna do this is where you are did you think you were gonna be here that was what that song it was all contemplating and it was like definitely a lot of my songs are either stories or conversations with myself. So that song was definitely That's a conversation with myself. Like how many times have I said, damn, time is running out. Like I got to stop living in the past, man. Like I better start like living in the, I've always wanted to be in the future. I'm in the future. It's, you know, I've always been, I've always been kind of fast moving, wanting to go, go, go. Well, you better live now. Because now it feels like time is. It felt like when I was young, I could never just, I can't wait till I'm 10. I cannot wait till I'm 16. I cannot wait till I'm 21. I cannot. I'm 40. 45. I'm 45. You know what I mean? I'm 46, yeah. And so as my birthday approaches, and I think about this more often. That song is really, and I've had a lot of grown folk tell me that song hits them in a special way because they, they can relate to that, you know? And, and it's, um, loving the way learning about you made me feel. I feel all of it. Mm -hmm. I don't have much left. All of the things that I 
all of the things that I felt was keeping me back from loving and embracing and mm. being loved, I had to address because of time. Mm -hmm. I recognized that it wasn't serving me to hold on to these things yeah. and to stop putting the responsibility of external forces and people to, you know, kind of right whatever quote unquote wrong I felt was in me. Yeah. And that's what, and that's the path that I wanted to take with the conversation about the relationship piece mm -hmm. and yeah. And, 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 and as opposed to tweaking the characteristic of the man, whether he's an introvert or extrovert, whether he's a pretty boy or am I tweaking in here? And, and, and I feel like in, so number, two things, I really, really, really love all of what went into that and what you were speaking and why you were speaking it from the visuals, from the black and white, from the stripping everything down, from you shaving your head, from you really letting go of the um, Madame Palindrome joint, like yes. from, to, to, Stripping it down to the bare minimum of who you are yes. from New Haven, from yeah. grandpa, grandma, mm -hmm. adding you adding that you adding these stories mm -hmm. just so you know, mm -hmm. really makes this conversation for me just. It's like the bow that goes on top. So I'm saying all it's First I'm saying time I've ever shared that publicly about my grandparents. First time in my life I've ever spoken of that in an interview. Um, Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I feel very comfortable. <laughs> um, talk. Yeah. Is Compass the the is Compass the start of you starting that internal work so that you don't feel like you're wasting more time? Yeah, yeah. Because right before I wrote started when I made the decision to even put that project together I felt like I was just spinning like a hamster in a spinning wheel on many levels Cougarville make maybe make not making the proper choices but kind of giving excuses behind it I'm saying I haven't uh, whatever that music um, complacency and like just kind of not creating doing work working hard and I hate to put it this way because no offense to anyone I was working with at that time because I was working really hard over those years, but like around 2016. But working hard and really not doing anything for Deborah Bond, like jumping on your show, your show, singing covers in a bar, do, like kind of getting nowhere fast. Like all of that was just reaching a culmination right at the end of 2019. And I'm thankful for a few specific people in my life who had these conversations that were like, you have to like, it's time for some cleanup. It's time for you to, you know, you believe in yourself. Cause that's something I never doubted. Real, I've never doubted my gift. I've always known it was there since I could open my mouth and sing like at five. That's amazing. I've never doubted my gift, but I began to doubt my ability to live off of it, to thrive off of it, to continue to create it. Like, and I was 
I was taking on things that just like weren't serving me properly. And so, yes, when I, when I decided to make that change as far as production and having to take a step back from my comfort zone with the people I was creating with, who we weren't doing much at the time anyway, I, that to me is when the real internal work kicked in. Like, I, and it's still happening. It's still, it is still a serious process, but I am in a, writing that album was very um, therapeutic. Mm. Um, you could feel that. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, you know, too, was because I also didn't think I, w I had this like, to me, this is, it's not a good thing that I was approaching it in that direction, but I'm thankful for the people around me who pulled me out of this direction. But in my mind, I just was like, I was diminishing what, what it would be before it was anything. I did, I'm just going to put together this little thing and like, I just need to write some songs and like, at least get some new music out and like, you know, I'm just going to put it, it's not, it's just going to be a little something. Like I, I didn't really want to like hype it up. I was nervous about it and all of that. And I had a couple of folks that were like, oh, no, 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 no. That's some good stuff. Like, don't, don't hide it. You yeah. know what I mean? Don't, don't yeah. be shy about it. But it, it really did open this door to a couple of things because also with Madame Palindrome, um, I had created a brand for myself. I was very proud of this too. Like, I mean, this is where the journalism, you know, comes in. It's like, I, I wanted to tell a narrative and I wanted to present myself a certain way. And so I would dress a certain way and I would, it was all in line with this funky diva, Madame Palindrome's funk princess kind of is what I was going mm -hmm. for. And I would just have so many, I would post a certain way. I would highlight the, the good half of my centaur. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I am really much a Sagittarian, half human, half beast. Mm -hmm. I, would, I would highlight the human, the heart of me. And so I would always show, I, I made a, a, a promise to myself to, to want to stay as positive for young people. I really have a thing about wanting to like encourage young people who will want to be in music and all that stuff. So... And doing that it was a little gift and a curse because I really did create a cool brand where I had people telling me how they love following my Instagram or whatever because of the things I would say and share. But there's also this beast of a person in me. There's also a very wild spirit in me. There's also a rebel type, I don't like rules, I don't like to be told what to do type of person in me that I felt like my fans were not seeing. And they, at least three, four, five, six times over the years, I've literally had people be like, you're the happiest person I know. You're so positive. What, I've had someone say, what is it like? What does it feel like? How does, how does it like navigating through life being such a happy person? This is also the person that loves horror, <laughs> loves crime stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm not happy all the time. I actually have a real life dark side, as I would call it, you know? Um, and I felt like with Compass, it opened the door to being like, you've got to see me as I, like the fullness of me. Were you feeling like a fraud? With no, because mm -mm. that's, there's very much a 
see the glass half full, um, optimist. I, I want to laugh. I love laughing. I'm really goofy. There's this happy part of me. It's really there and it's real. And it's not going to go away. You can, I, I also struggle with like people who can't snap out of things, like brush the shoulders off types. That's, that's a struggle with me because I want to have fun. You don't have don't, patience for that kind of shit. I don't want to be, although it's in me too, which is wild. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I just yeah. am, I like to bounce back. I don't want to wallow in depression. I don't want to. So there was that side of me that people were seeing all this happiness and all this, because I felt like also it's social media. This is my press and my marketing. I'm not giving you my dirty laundry. I, I had that mental, like I'm not sharing none of that dark stuff with y'all. Y'all here to listen to this music and feel good. I want to make you feel good. Steve-O! That, right? But my life wasn't going that way. And I didn't want to hide because I don't usually hide. So that was the first. And I didn't anticipate ending that relationship. I didn't. When I was branding myself this way, it was a different life for me, too. Yeah, I was yeah. in love and, like, starting to do big shows and like, you know, glowing up and all this stuff. So what I was showing was still very honest. I didn't have any kind of imposter vibe, but I had to now open the door to the reality of what was going on now. now. Yeah. From that 2016 to 2019, 2020, I have to, I can't, it can't be all bells and whistles anymore. And so I wanted the, the album to, begin that journey of sharing another side of myself. How do you feel connecting with that side of yourself and sharing that piece? I imagine I was very uncomfortable when I first did this, and mm -hmm. but I, I'm one of those people now to where I look for the discomfort because I've done it so often. I recognize that that's where the greatest results are. Yep. That's where the biggest wins are. And I lean into it now in a way that I didn't always before. But that's a part of that time thing, too, because yeah, yeah. not doing it, it's like prolonging yes. the, the, the win, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah. So how do you feel? I was... I wasn't uncomfortable. I was more so nervous. And, um, and that, that doesn't always, I'm kind of used to nervousness. Getting on stage, every time I get on stage, I'm nervous. So nervousness is not necessarily as uncomfortable for me as it might be for others because I'm used to that feeling um, as a performer. Gotcha. So I was nervous to share. It was, and it wasn't about the, the content. It was about... This isn't the sound I had before. This oh, is wow. Different. Really? Because I had really, in DC especially, I, I also had to pop my DC bubble. That was another bit of advice that I was getting at the time. It's like, you got to get out of here. You got to get on the road and go to LA. Have you sung there? Have you sung in Texas? Have you, because if you stay in any bubble and you do the way, I, move the way I did, which was in a beautiful progression, you can think that it's going to be like that everywhere. Yeah. You know, and so, and, the way DC shows love is so strong, you know, and the love for me was growing so strong. And people, I, we were marketing ourselves, Deborah Bond and Third Logic. Third Logic were these three brothers that were my producers and my bandmates and my, one of them my guy, you know, and like 
people would be like, where's their logic? You know, fans, oh my God, divorce around third logic. So I was like, uh-oh, this doesn't <laughs> sound like third logic. Yeah. But it actually does, interestingly enough. And I've had several people be like, nope, you haven't, you stayed right in your lane. Yeah. You still, you found the same, you found the, your tribe again. But I was afraid I was going to get a lot of like backlash as to like the quality of my music or the sound of my music. It was more so me being worried that I'm not going to be to a certain standard that I had created with the last record. Sonically, not, not from, lyrically. That's crazy to me. I was not worried about that at all. Vocally, um, 10 years later, voice has changed, voice has aged, and I even embraced that. Even though that's one that's still yin and yang, because mm -hmm. I have some, with the climate of music right now, and vocally what's the style of singing that's in, it's not me. So I still deal with, I still have my battles with just having to accept this throat I was given, or that I have tarnished in ways and that's aged and all that. But really, and so with the singing, I set out to purposefully leave imperfections to not, obsess over perfection to just like if the, if the note is off if it cracks if it breaks let it because i'm i'm a little broken this is real that's you you know and so it was really more of the standard i was nervous about and i had a few people it's funny i have my madam palindrome people i have my day after people and i have my compass people and then i have my like the more like my diehards who yeah. just they gonna dig into all of it but i had people Madame Palindrome was a very UK, so like Europe, just ate that shit up. It was cold. Way more than America. It's had, to me, it had, at least from a visual standpoint, it was like Bjork type. Yes, and I was heavily influenced by her. That's so crazy that you say that. I was so... The cover just says, like, if you just took... Homogenic. Yeah, know? like that, that's the cover. <laughs> yeah. Like, no one peeps that. That's so dope. <laughs> um, <laughs> That is like, I was really into alternative music. I was really trying to be extremely artsy. We were, all of us were heavy into Jamiroquai and like. I like the Alan Stone. Um, uh, Lewis Taylor. The duet? No, the, oh. the guy who engineered it. Oh, wow. Al Stone. Yeah. I like the story of that, by the way. Go, go check the dreamy forgetting king's interview where she goes into that dreamy. but that was a dreamy moment for me yeah that, that had its own little love bubble and there are people who really love day after day after was the baby and it was also like the neo soul like our neo soul like we were we were just a part of that beautiful movement with all of these artists kindred the family soul and jill and beyonce, um, beyonce hilarious Bilal. <laughs> that's what i meant to say Bilal and all these cats and that was a dope debut i mean it was people were impressed it was, i was for the time <laughs> and for that to be like a first go at it i mean i'm saying that as if it was i don't even like saying that because maxwell's first joint was a classic d'angelo let me like oh, Baduism. Yeah, uh, the yeah. first one is usually there's some magic there if you get it right. And I feel like even though there were some many sonic issues with that first one, but it was like we were kids. I, I got grants, to, you know, to, mm -hmm. to fund it and all that stuff. But the music was extremely authentic and extremely soulful. And, and like that one has like that's always going to be my baby. But with Compass, I was like. 
Are they gonna like, this isn't all like this kind of like adult contemporary funk. Oh. It, it's got like a little, some hip hop edge and some hardness here. And then this ending song is kind of like electronica. I just was so nervous that people were gonna be like, oh, she done dropped her standards. She done left her logic. And she, and I'm now having people be like, nah, this is like my favorite job. So. <laughs> To me, the trajectory reflects me and where and where I am mm. in my in my own life and in owning these parts. Like mm -hmm. there, there's certain moments in a lot of the different songs that really strike nerves. Really? Oh yeah. I yeah. like that. Yeah, that I like that. That doesn't to, happen to people anymore. To where like I'm almost I'm real in tune with my emotions, and I I, yes, I, I own I own the entire spectrum. Yes, please. And so yes, I I I, I listen not to judge but to connect. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so oh, that's such a beautiful thing. You say it again <laughs> for real because we're in a judgy time. And yeah, and to it's judge and, and, and not to connect. And my favorite songs <clears throat> have changed. Good. That's how I, that makes me feel good too. Yeah, because you're digging in it. Yeah, and so um, I'm excited for you as a human mm. and what doors you choose to open up and adding the grandparent story, adding the dad story with the focus on the name and what Deborah means. Mm -hmm. There's so many ingredients that 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 are that are in the pot that you can pull from. Got chills. To Ooh. just to really to really express yourself in in as broad of a way as you as you as you choose to. Mm. I'm getting emotional about this, but. Because I have to, I have to tell you that even hearing you say that, you give me a little spark of of a sunray. Because I just had this conversation with somebody recently. Um, we artists, we all go through those, you know, that self doubt, you know, and and we question and we don't know. And the and the biggest one of the biggest things I've had so much self love and pride in when it comes to my art is my writing. Bluey from Incognito, the leader of the, that band, the founder of Incognito, as much as he loves to hear me sing, when he talks, when he speaks of me on stage or when he, in interviews, he speaks of my writing, right? And I, I've always been a poet. I started writing poetry when I was like eight, you know? And so in this day and age, even kind of circling back to the song, Time, just hearing you say what you're just saying right now is a breath of fresh air because what scares me and what saddens me as I try to stay focused and push on with my dream is that I don't think people care about what I'm saying anymore. I don't think people care about what artists are saying anymore. When I, and no disrespect to the Queen Bee, no disrespect, because I admire her work ethic and her talent. But when that album dropped, and I saw the nutso frenzy that always happens, and I dug into what she was talking about, 
or not even what she was saying, how she says it. I go through these waves of like, I don't know if I belong in this game anymore because I'm in it to, to connect and I'm in it to, I need you to listen to me. I need you, I have a song called Blind Paradise and there's a line that says, I'm not a robot, I need you to hear me. Like, and we're not in that time anymore. I'm just, I don't, and I'm, there's where my glass is not always half full because it's the thing I love to do. It's why it takes me so long to make, make music because I think about what I'm trying to say and I, I do think about it kind of intensely because I want you to hear this message. And it could be about sex. It could be about death. Whatever it is, I want you to hear it, you know? And so I, get, I have had in the last, since Compass has been released, I have had moments where I'm like, yo, you're gonna be under the radar, indie, underground forevermore, no one's, because no one really wants your kind of music. Because I do write for writers and for people that are trying to get a little more than just a groove. You know what I mean? Like, we have music all has its time and space. I love me some, you know, Chris Brown. There's, there's some pop stuff that I, I want to hear because I want to dance. I want to party. But there's, when I listen to Rocket Love by Stevie Wonder, I lose my mind every time because of how he said what he said and what melody choice he chose. Like, and we're not in that time. So I get, I get, I get sad sometimes because I feel like I am the, I'm an artsy artist and I'm not just, out here to just like go with the algorithm, go with the flow and do what everybody's doing. Like I wanna, you know, when I wrote Patience, that was about something. There's a story right there. There's a story. Don't you wanna know it? But people don't even care. I got it in my phone, I got questions. They don't even care. I, so to hear you say what you're saying, I thank you for saying it because I have had these gloomy moments where I'm like, there aren't people with that frame of mind around anymore, so who's gonna buy my music? Because that's who I'm creating it for. I'm not creating it for people that just want some fluff. Can I offer something? You want your daddy to hold your hand? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and when we're making this stuff. Mm. Yeah. It's the making it that's. It's vulnerable. <laughs> it's, it's, it's. And, and people aren't going to get it really. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and most people. And I feel like with, with you and where you are and some of it, it's. All I kept hearing you about, hearing, all I kept seeing when you were saying that was your father, you, all you want is your daddy to hold your hand. Yeah. Like these people aren't gonna get it. They're, they're, they're not gonna hold our hands. That is, some, that is some realness right there. That but, is some realness right but there. But we have to make it and it does matter. It's important, I, it's necessary. It's, it's everything. It's, it's spiritual, the, it kept my sister alive. Music, 
My mother is like, Deborah, I would sing. T- I think sometimes when, with the lack of it that's been out of her life and with COVID and being so isolated, it's changed her. So I know it's power in it. So I need my fans to hold my hand. I need to know the love is there. But I also have to understand that even in the, and here's Deborah, here's the warrior, even in the resistance, I have to not let that get me in the defeat space. You know what I mean? I have to, and I have to analyze what is a winning of a battle, which I have really thought about in my life because my goals have shifted from day after to now as far as my career. And even as my life, in yeah. life you know, so. What is a win? Man, so many forms. Performing with Incognito is a win. I used to listen to them in college. <laughs> and now this cat done stayed in his house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Bluey doesn't, Bluey writes almost every song on every maybe 18 Incognito records since the beginning of that, that band. Wow. The band's over 30 years old. He's, he's written every lyric. When he heard Madame Palindrome, and we finally met in the really serendipitous happenstance way that we met, he was like, your writing is phenomenal. Like, I, I, you wanna write with me? All of the other, many others in the collective of Incognito, the United Nations of Incognito, as he calls them, he says, the band is called Incognito because you never know who's gonna be in the band. <laughs> he's the only one, that's have over, he's had over 500 members since his existence. God. Yeah. Um, the, they, all of them, like, the fact that he let you write your song is huge. You know that, right? Because he doesn't do that. And I really did my research, and he does not. The fact that this man that I admire so much allowed me to write a song that was inspired by a conversation I had with my mama when we both were just building like this and encouraging each other. And I decided to write... I see the sun, it shines a little brighter today because I decided to find a peace inside and rearrange my mind. And I find a freedom when I try to see that there's more to life that helps me make it through the day. I wrote that as I watched the sun come in the window after I hung up the phone with my mother. I write this song for Incognito. Bluey sends me this message and says, good grief, you just shared your soul with me. Record the song. Or record the song. And then on the flip, he tells me, that one of his dearest friends has a daughter with anorexia who it went so far gone that she ended up coming close to dying in the hospital. And Bluey gave his friend this record, that record called Amplified Souls, the second to last incognito record, and she couldn't stop listening to I See the Sun to the point where her father said it healed her. My first world tour with Incognito, I get flown to London for a week to rehearse with them, and I meet her. That's a win. That is success. That's powerful. Mm. All of these things. Bluey lets me write a song. Beautiful moment with my mama. Inspired the song. I wrote this song in 10 minutes. I don't write songs in 10 minutes. I write songs in months sometimes. All of that, that's a win. That's such a, I'm like, 
what that's what it's about man it, i mean and then i'm like yo i'm used to listen to deep waters like um 96.3 all the time seeing myself on vh1 soul in my music videos on in a footlocker on the tv that's a win because like, I, I was that kid that wanted the music videos and was always watching the Eurythmics and Boy George and Janet Jackson. Simply I, Red was my people. Simply Red, dude. I, I was, that's trippy too. That's so trippy. I'm not even going to, I literally thought about holding back the years this morning when I woke up. Well, not when I woke up, when I was in insomnia land. But, um, so I, you have to redefine your wins now. Yeah, because to some, that's cool. Who's blue again? You know what I mean? To some, but that's a win for me. Yeah. When my uncle David told me that Bora and my band might not have got a record deal, but the fact that I get to open for my absolute favorite band every time they come to my city for over 20 years, he's like, that's a, one of the biggest wins I could have ever asked for. That's like me opening for Janet every time she comes to DC. You know what I mean? Like he, he that has been his, his story. So that conversation even with him had me reevaluating what a win is and what success is. Um, and there's, there's, I mean, down to the, the places in the rooms, of meeting Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and singing, you know, for them at an event like this year. I can't even believe I did that. I think I saw you post that. Yeah. I can't even believe it. I'm just sitting there like, hey, I'm, I'm Terry. I'm like... I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Hi, I'm Jimmy. And they just, we're all in the Hamilton backstage. Like, huh. You know, that's, that's, that's winning. You know, just to be, for me, it is about my elders. I've always, like, coming back to time and, and me being a bit of an old soul. I was raised to respect them. This new, this new these youngers out here, that's a different world in America especially. The younger people don't have the same respect with aging people or older people, but I, to be in rooms and spaces with some of these, these older legends that, that I have been able to be around, I, I am, winning is there, it's there. <laughs> it's, it's, there's one particular way that I don't feel like I'm winning. And I, I can be honest about it. And this, I feel like it's pretty much the story for, mo for many of us. But I wanna just live off of my art comfortably. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely mm. not. Gotta be on stages, gotta work like a workhorse, gotta have the jingles, gotta have voice lessons. I gotta be working to live off of my art. And that's the only thing that frustrates me as far as success. Because I, I wanna own a home. I wanna, I, I'm not even really into like name brand and all that stuff. I just, I love to travel. I, I don't wanna worry about what's gonna happen to my bank account if I take a trip to. Amsterdam, you know, right, I don't right. worry about it, but I do, because it's, you know, music is not, it's not that lucrative these days for many of us. Does that, Pat, does that dictate how you create? Um, no. Okay. And then I've been told that's not wise. <laughs> I've been told you need to be thinking about the type of songs you're writing so you can get that hit, so you can make that money, so you can get on them stages. If you thinking of, like you need to be moving in this way because it'll appeal to the young people or it'll appeal to white people. White people come out more. I mean, that's a fact too. They come out. Right? We, black folks, we kind of interesting with each other with how we support 
We really are. I've learned a lot about that. In the I've last traveled year. with, I've seen even with uh, you and Zoe and, and, mm-hmm. and Terrell going to Tennessee and going to Atlanta. And mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a, you I know. Have, I've been encouraged to not be myself, to move closer to success. I've been, and I mean, that's been the name of the game forever, but now with internet and social media, at one time it was just like always like put a wrapper on your stuff. That was always the thing that was supposedly gonna give me street credibility and make me hip or whatever. Um, First it was that. Then it was, excuse me, less bohemian. Like perm that hair back, you know, like wear this kind of, that ain't gonna work. Now it's just like make songs and sing a little mumbly. You know, and change your cadence. Oh, repeat, yeah, change it. Da 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 da, like repeat over and over, and, and and make your voice a little bit like so. Sing. Like, you lose the people who got you here when yes. you do that. And they will know. Because, y'all, you you. They will know. You it 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 sticks out like a sore thumb mm-hmm. because it's and that's. I was clear on my why. Mm-hmm. When I started. Mm-hmm. And that will dictate every decision that I make moving forward as it relates to what I do on here. And I think when yes, you, I'm with you, when you start to jeopardize that, when it, when you start to um, diminish it, you don't. I'm okay with not with having difficulty sleeping because I can't pay that bill. Yeah, it's a different kind of fatigue. When you fucking with your spirit and your soul and your why, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, it's, it's not worth it. No, for me, it isn't. And I, and there's the rebel there. There's that part of me that's been, you know, I don't care what you say. When I worked in radio, oh my gosh, it wasn't queen optimistic. From They didn't think that's who I was. They, I mean, I was always sweet to people and real cool with people. But when it came to the job or the music, you like that? I was doing a lot of that. Like, you think this is, you gonna put this on the air as opposed to this? But this is like real music. Boy, you don't like nothing. I was always told that you don't like nothing. I'm like, I don't like crap. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so much better music out here. To, and this is a, a company that can play whatever they want. No offense, guys. Um, but, because you gotta be careful these days what you say. But I, I'm, I have my why as well. And it has never changed. It has really never changed. I used to, I am such a dreamy, imaginative person. I wanted, always wanted to touch people and make them feel loved and make them have a party and make them feel good or, or milk their emotions and, and have them go deep mm-hmm. within themselves. Yeah. Like holding back the years does when I listen to mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? So I remember being a kid crying listening to that song. Yeah. Not knowing why. I just knew that there was something in there that connected what was in here, yep. and I cried. I had a red boombox, yep. and that shit cranked, and I'd play it over and over again, and yep. me and my cousins would sit in the room and cry together. That's what I'm talking about. I want that. You know what I mean? I want emotion. I want to evoke something in you that will have you either thinking about life, thinking about yourself, thinking about having a good time, whatever. But I don't want to just give you something and you like it for a month or two and then the next thing you like it for a month or two. And that's kind of what I had been advised by some, a lot more on the corporate side of things, especially when I worked in radio. So Let me ask you a question because I, I want to, um, I know, Patience. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Patience and second. time are very connected. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the song, you're chanting stop. Yeah. And then somebody's whistling. Yeah, I just did that. Okay, <laughs> there any significance about that? I wanted that, it, it stuck out. It was perfect and it was different. And I could, the stop sounded so intentional with it being repeated over and over and over yeah. again. Yet another conversation with myself. And the whistling um, was spirit led because it didn't even come out clear all the way. And then, like, I just left. But it. that shit was perfect, though. I left. I love that. That that was not planned, but it was something I felt was downloaded to me from the universe to the ending of it. Also, with the way the guitar strummed. It made me think about strolling and whistling and contemplating, like, doo -doo 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 -doo. like hmm. because that's what that song really is about. Just like uh, I've always imagined, even if I do a video for that song, being in maybe like New Haven in, in a neighborhood and just walking down the street, looking around. Because that, that song, the stop, the stop part, it, it has a double meaning. It's partly me telling myself, I gotta stop some of these things I, that I do. I gotta stop before life doesn't give me the patience. And here's why I say that. And so stop doing what you're doing. Stop trying to be so fast. Stop trying to be ahead, trying to be everywhere at once. And so that's partly why I was telling myself to stop. But also, life will stop you if you don't pick up on things that need to be altered, that, that, are, that are moving in the wrong direction and very fast. And I say that really because I've, back to the memoirs, back to the stories, I've lived such a life. And there's a line in the song, um, Constantly down to take the ride, and maybe it's time that I catch my breath for a while. That was very specific. Uh, lanes, lanes can take a left turn, and before you know, you're down and you're lying on the ground. I was in a motorcycle accident, 2022, maybe 23, first year of my relationship, my past long relationship, and um, I was just being stupid. I was hanging out with friends in Dupont Circle, drinking kicking it, and I love motorcycles. Here's the funny, here's, here's the kicker, here's the juice, because I don't even put this out there because the conversations get on my damn nerves. I'm just prefacing it, prefacing I don't even have a driver's license, okay? But I decided to get on somebody's bike and go for a ride. We all at a pool hall, playing pool, drinking, we want to take the party to the, my homie's crib. He's like, I live right up the street. This is in the dead of winter, January of 2002, maybe? Three? I, somewhere around there. Let's go to so-and-so house. I'm, I, don't, don't laugh at me, y'all. I got a motorcycle. I know it's wintertime. It's cold. I don't have no car, though. And I was like, oh, I love bikes. I had been on one before with, my, with the basketball player. And I had, I had kind of gotten into learning how you, you move with the, you know? So I felt very confident on taking a ride with a man who had been drinking that I just met that day to go to 
a hang with my, now my band, some of my bandmates were there. My actual guy was in Switzerland on a tour, but two of my other friends and bandmates were there. And they were like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to take the ride? They said that. Yes. Funky Chuck. I remember my bassist at the time. He was like, mm, we got the car. We can, we can meet Chuck. We could just meet him at the crib. And I was like, I love bikes. He got a bike. I'll take it. He said he lives 10 minutes from here. It's not going to be a long ride. And I'll never forget his face. He said, okay. And he had this fleece hat on. He took it off his head. He was like, you don't even have a damn helmet, Deborah. Please put this on your head. Put this fleece hat on my head. And me and brother, I'm not even going to say his name because there's a whole perspective that comes with that too that I'll get to. But we were in DuPont Circle, not in, on the highway or anything, thank God. Um, and we were, I remember this vividly still to this day because I wasn't even knocked out from that accident. I was on the back of the bike and I remember it being a little bit of traffic in DuPont, and, he, and there were some pockets of open road, and he was kind of weaving in and out of traffic. So I kind of weaving in and out. And I remember just leaning, trying, telling myself, that's what you're supposed to do. He's kind of, and I remember one moment where I got nervous. Like, this is like, he's just scaring me with the weaving and stuff. And I closed my eyes and was like, Jesus. Boom. That's all I, I just closed my eyes and then boom, I just felt like a jolt. And I had my arms around him and I tried to hold on and I just was, the, the power of it just threw me back. And I landed on my ass. I landed on literally not, I remember, because if you're in a, I was in a sitting position and when I flew off, I was still kind of sitting and in I that. landed like down here and tumble. Did not hit my head at all. And I remember being like, I cannot believe this just happened. I cannot believe this. And I was sitting there on the ground like, I, damn it, I'm gonna, like, ooh. And so he comes up to me, knees just bleeding like shit, because he landed forward and tumbled. I landed on my ass. We both did not hit our heads. Neither one of us had on helmets. And he came over, and the lady, we ran to the back of an SUV, I guess. I think what happened was he was trying to cut around someone who also, like, they both, he was going. Because I, I remember leaning, like, oh, God, oh, oh, shit. I remember, like, really being scared. And then, like, boom, that, like, bump kind of feeling. And then the lady got out the car and was like, oh, my God, are you okay? And I was like, I'm alive. It was weird. I was just sitting there like, I'm all right. I'm okay, I'm I'm not knocked out or I don't have a concussion. I don't think like, and I was and and then he was like, nervous like, she's fine. She you're okay right? You you straight? And now I know why leading up to every everything that happened in light of that. But he was like, you straight? You good? And I was like, I'm I'm all right. I'm I'm fine. And he, he went and when he went to take my hand to pull me up, I could not stand up, and I just shrieked out a scream. And I remember the best way, I tell this, I describe it this way every time, but the way, the way it felt when I tried to stand was like a metal rod was just poked through my crotch, through my pelvis. 
And I was, I just screamed like, I can't get up, I cannot get up, I cannot get up. And then the next thing I know, it was just a whirlwind of me on the thing, and they put me in the thing, and I'm cutting my pants off, and trying to figure out what's wrong, and, I, and I'm drunk, and I gotta pee. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, girl, you better just go ahead and pee. I'm never gonna lay in the like, honey, just pee. She was like, I'm sorry, because you ain't getting up. You're not going to a bathroom. And I was just like, what? No, I don't want to go to the hospital. I don't want this to be a thing. I just thought I could walk away. And they were like, no, you're, you, you can't walk. What happened? I broke my pelvis, cracked it, just cracked that motherfucker. And nothing, oh no, I cracked my collarbone, broke an ankle, and um, nothing else. I have a couple of little little marks on my hand from like my hand scraping the concrete and humbled as shit, humbled as shit. Because then the next wave of like, you've got to tell your mother, you're in the hospital, your, your boyfriend's in Switzerland, there's no cell phones, there's answer machines. And shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my family, I mean, my brother and my mother, they got in a car that night, that day, or that night from New Haven and came down. It, w it was embarrassing. Um, I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair. I thought I was going to have this kind of limp thing. I was like, my career's done. I'm not, I mean, I was known for being sassy on stage. You seen me with Zoe, I'm going to dance. Oh, yeah. I was like, that's over. I, it was so dark. And... That was life stopping me. Stop this. Stop this. Stop this. What? My mother was so mad. She was like, you don't even drive a car. What were you doing on a bike? Mm. I don't know. I was just hanging out. Just having a good time. I like to have a good time. Too much sometimes. Sometimes you got to think, you know? And so not being able to walk. Um, hilariously enough, my, the people in the hospital, I was at GW, they were like, we've never had a patient have so many visitors. <laughs> they were like, you are loved. A lot of friends. They yeah, all came to see yeah, Debo. You said that. Which was, and it was, it wasn't a freaking catheter. You know what I mean? Like, so people, I'm like sitting there and my friends are like, Debo, you peeing right now? I'm like, wait, what? I was coming. You can't feel it, can <laughs> no. you? It just, you just see it come out the toe. You have the that shit too, as a woman. You know, you gotta freaking keggle it up a little bit afterwards. Like yep. you can, you yep. know, I mean, it was. I was on Oxycontin and Percocet. At the same time, I had morphine in my, in my you know, I thank God that I didn't pick up an addiction. You know what I mean? My mom, who was a nurse, when I, I was in the hospital for five days, no insurance. That. Stop. 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 <laughs> that. I didn't really know what hospital, hospital bills were like. But just that morphine pump that I had to help my pain, thousands of dollars for four days, five days. I got two days covered by the city. The other two, all on me. And I mean, money, big money. I had to take, I had to walk, I had to learn like how to walk again and mm -hmm. all that and go through the, the, uh, ther the therapy and the physical therapy and that was built, all of that, you know? And so, and then, you know, Really what humbled me is I had to go home because I was, did I have a job at that time? I think I was temping maybe at that time. And my mom is like, what are you going to do? Yeah. You can't even walk. So then my, my mother's got to wash me. 
My mom's got to take And your sister's there. My sister's there. I'm on all this medication. I am, like, stoned. And, like, my mother's like, you're not even taking the Oxycontin on your own. I'm going to give it to you because you are not going to. She's so in the know of, like, that whole thing that she was like, I'm going to keep these in my room. And every time you, I'm going to give it. She let me administer the Percocet for myself. But, um. That oxy, she was like, no, 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 no. Because people start to like this feeling. I didn't actually, I actually absolutely hated the way I felt during those months. Constipation is a monster. Oh, my God. That's the one that got me. Oh. I, 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 I was debating, okay, do I want to shit or do I want to feel pain? I was literally negotiating yeah. between the two and, and a lot. Here's the thing. I want to shit and I... But the place it comes from is oh, broken. Oh, I, I, oh. Like, so I'm like. In oh, the, and the amount of extra work you got to put in to. That is not cool. Oh, nah, I'm nah. making me spirit prune drinks and stuff, you know. Which they is they are from the South. They, My mom made me a killer. I mean, I'm not. I'm a real human. So I have no problem talking about human shit. I didn't go for like over a week yeah, from same. that from them pills. Yeah. And so she was like, Deborah, I'm your mother and I'm a nurse. You gotta go. You gotta go. But I know it's gonna be painful, so I'm gonna make you a little serum. <laughs> that was like a you ever seen Dumb and Dumber? Check out the scene in Dumb and Dumber. That was me. <laughs> anyway, but those two months having to move back to Connecticut, having my mother take care of me, we were still coming maybe out of this like tension of her being like you're so wild and in dc and like i ain't raised you that way and you know her being not having control of me because she's she was a little on the strict side in some ways when it came to like my social life everything else i could travel the world i could run track and do a, yeah, take yeah, yeah, and yeah. the other things i did but boys and, and friends and kicking it too much she was not playing around so we were so she was really she was happy I was alive, but of course she's pissed at me. Yeah, you know for what sure. I mean? And I was pissed at myself because I really was afraid that my shit was done, like my career and stuff. And I, life stopped me. Life was like, you stop, 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 stop playing around. Stop thinking you got to be always down to take the ride. Like, you got to be always like in the shit, always at the party. I really felt like I had um, missing out syndrome from being raised so strict. I always felt like I was missing out on fun. So when I was able to have it without my mom telling me what to do, you oh, out. I took advantage. I mean, I did not finish college. You know, like I, I didn't end strong. Um, no, 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 no. Didn't end strong. No, we, I, I don't want to put, we, it ain't over. The game ain't over. It ain't over, but I mean, here's you, the thing about life. Maybe I wasn't even supposed to go. But you, you ain't the end of what, though? Like, Hey, maybe I'll return. I don't think I'm a devil. No, I'm talking about life. Like oh, you, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. Life ain't over. Life ain't over. That's, that's the one thing. If I ain't learned, knock on something, because that's just one brush I had when it comes to stopping. I mean, I was also jumped and mugged in, in Zimbabwe with a, a group of kids on our way to see Shaba Ranks at 16. Like, I was on my way to a party in Zimbabwe. My you mother let me go for kicking. a month. 
when I was 16 for this program for the inner city kids and you get to spend a month in Zimbabwe International Ambassador for Education. I was hyped because I loved to travel. And that was my first big thing. The second night I got there, I got there on a Thursday, mugged on Friday. And I mean, I could have, we all could have died. It was eight, about eight of us and it was about 20 of them on our way to the concert. And being fast, like we were in these host families, we had chaperones and stuff that were a part of the program, but they also put us with host families were beautiful people, life-changing experience, best experience of my life. But we, the kids of the host family was like our age. My host family had kids a little bit older. And the other kids were like calling like, guess what, yo, Shaba is in town. We doing a concert tomorrow. This is 1993. This, this is this heyday of dance yeah. hall. I'm, I am a dance hall junkie. I am so excited. How much it costs? Five American dollars. Oh, you, we going, we going, we going. These little boys, four of them, from the host family, got the permission. We all, we made a plan. Some of the chaperones were gonna meet us there. They were like, this will be a fun little outing for the kids. We pile in this car, like eight of us, pile in this big little vanny thing, this car, and we go driving, and we park at this cat's house. And stop and think a minute. I didn't do that. Why are we parking here? The stadium was like way down the way. So we park here, and we just start walking, didn't ask no questions, walking, walking, and then we get pretty close. You see the stadium, see the lights, and next thing you know, here come this group of dudes, and they're going, shaba, shaba, shaba. And I got scared, just like I held on to that dude on that bike. That's so wild. Just as I held on to him when I started to get scared, I put my arm inside of one of the boys' arms because they were a little bigger than us. And I kind of got close to him as we were like walking towards them. And then they went and passed us by. And the next thing I know, I just felt an arm just grab me against the neck. Just how I got stopped and thrown off that bike. I got an arm around the neck. And then it just turned into a blackout. like fighting and scuffling and like me pulling and like them trying to get my, like I, it was crazy and it was fast. It was like a couple, like it felt like it was like, it was so fast and I wore, I, I'm blind as a bat, wear real thick glasses. I had my glasses on on that trip. I didn't have my contacts with me on that trip and they were knocked off. I couldn't find them anywhere. We could not find them. I had, they told us not to carry no money because it's a lot of pickpockets, which is very real. And um, I had it in this thing that would go under your shirt and you, it was like the very 90s, you twist it off and you could put stuff in there. Mm -hmm. and a little rope, for like you could go in the pool with it, whatever. So I had this paper that said I was like an American, some little, little piece of paper, the keys to my, my host family's house, $250. Oh, shit, you was rolling. $250. In 93? 250 American. No, it was an American. No, African. Maybe it was African dollars. No, it was American. It was money. And oh, that gone. It Rope burn. Got a rope burn to prove it. They, they pulled it. They ripped it. I was holding it, and he's like, just yanked that thing off. He got into my shirt, felt that thing, grabbed it, had on coat, gone. I mean, they, they, they robbed us, and they... they 
I had bruises all over my arms. Now, mind you, this is 93. I was probably about 90 pounds. I didn't even make it to 100 pounds till college. I was always a little, little person, mm. you know? And so I was pretty bruised up a little bit. I didn't have anything to my, they didn't hit me, thankfully, in my face or anything, but it was a lot of grabbing, like yeah. kidnapping type shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, didn't make it to the concert. Didn't go to the concert. Some people wanted to go to the concert. Oh, shit. But stop. Just stop at this point, Deborah. Stop. Go, go back. So I said, I don't want to go. I can't even see now. So what am I going to do? I don't want to go. One of the other girls was like, I kind of want to go. The chaperones went. The other kids went. The next day, I was, I was in shock. I, I can now diagnose myself. I, I was um, definitely experiencing shock because it was a very, like, I didn't have much to say. I remember waking up the next morning and going to the porch to sit there. And I was just sitting on my host family's porch. And there was a newspaper, and it said, Shabarank's concert, Girls Raped. That was on the cover. My chaperones, I then found out, made it to the concert. The pe Here's the key factor. We parked so far because the boys didn't want to park in the neighborhood of the concert because the concert's in the bad neighborhood. They didn't tell the, they didn't tell us that. We didn't even ask. We didn't say why we why do we park like a 20 minute walk away from the stadium? They if they would have been like because it's kind of it's dangerous over there. I might have thought maybe I don't want to go, but we didn't ask no questions because we was fast. We was just trying to do what yeah. we wanted to do, and so the people in that neighborhood were so angry about that concert that they rioted the concert. My chaperones got tear gas. People were damn near getting trampled. They all got out okay. But groups of men were grabbing up women and raping them. And, and they were, they, I read the thing and it said that they were running into the police stations naked. And these groups of men, just like from the neighborhoods. I read that and just sat there. Because that was definitely going to be me. The dude kept saying, you come, come with me. You coming with me. That could have definitely been. If those boys weren't there, it probably would have been us. Because they, they were fighting for us. I mean, we were all fighting. But these, it was like 20 of them. And so, yet again, that, that, was, that was like the first real brush with like, and I had to be there for a full month after, like a full month. Yeah. I stayed. I was like, I, I take a little pride in my perspective at, at 16 because I was walking the night in the night with a Tommy Hilfiger jacket. Never forget that jacket. Some Nike Air Maxis or whatever it was. The oh, you was, you was over there stunting. I was stunting. I had a job. That age, I was working at um, Bradley's department store. <laughs> I ain't never like, heard of Bradley's. That's some New England shit? That's some New English shit. That's like, you know, like Coles or something. Okay. And so I had a job. I was like, you know, I was trying to be cute out in, you know, Zimbabwe. I'm walking and the, these people don't live the life I live. They don't have the things I have. And I, I'm arrogant enough to walk in your poor neighborhood with my stylish things and yeah. like in your hood. Yeah, yeah. I'm from the hood, so I get that shit too. You coming in my hood with your yeah, shit? Yeah, yeah. So I when when it was time to talk about if I wanted to tell my mother, <laughs> um, I knew I was gonna come home if I told her. 
I was, my mother is not a joke. She don't play. So you didn't tell her? I had to tell her something because I couldn't see. And this was not 2022 where you could go to the internet and get somebody to email the prescription and bring it to the doctor. They needed to airmail my prescription. I don't even think, when did email come? I don't think it was I wonder how yet. much that cost. It cost it. My we, did, we, did, we the same age. So email was... It's, I mean, you were 16. I put you, what, 92, 93? Yeah, there's just no way email was popping. Heavy. No. They had to air. I was, they had to air. I was like, they were like, you got to, we don't feel comfortable with you lying to your mama. But how do you feel? And I was like, it was my fault. It was our fault. We didn't handle ourselves properly. I didn't want to say I got what I deserve, or we got what you, but that's kind of where my mind was because yeah. I had perspective a little bit about where they were coming from. Yeah. And I said, I want to stay. And they said, well, then you have to figure out how you want to do this with your moms. So I told my mom that I was on a safari and I fell and fell on my face. And I got home and told my mother that story. She was like, I'm so glad you didn't tell me the truth because I knew you were lying. I could feel it. Because you have been wearing glasses since you were five, and you have never fallen and broken them, ever in your life. And you were playing sports. She's like, I did not believe that. I, she was like, something in my spirit said, that's not what happened. And she's like, I'm just glad you didn't tell me. Because when I told her, it was, you can, as you can imagine, it was hard for her to hear that. Yeah, you know? I'm um, surprised you didn't get a whooping. I didn't get a whooping. I was, I mean, I was 16, but she was like. That's at least a thump. I didn't even get nut. I, I, you know what the wild thing is? My grandmother gave me whoopings. My mama never gave me whoopings. Mm. Grandma was always the, the disciplinarian with that with switches. But, um, um, yeah. I learned a lot of lessons, you know what I'm saying? And, like, with patience, when I heard that track and I heard that music, it made me feel like slowing down and listening. And I wanted to write about that aspect of my personality, really constantly down to take the ride. Constantly down to take the ride. I said that, then the first time I said constantly down to take the ride, and the second verse I said, are you sure you wanna take that ride? Maybe you gotta put that behavior, but you gotta put that aside a little bit and start slowing down. Plus you getting older, you gotta slow down. It's a part of life. But me, I've always been, I had a hashtag, go Bora go. It, it was, I mean, if you search it right now, there's all this stuff. Because that was like the narrative. Like, go Bora go! No, slow down. You're getting older, have a breath. Have some patience. It's okay, slow down. Maybe, what you rushing off to? Because there's a section that's like, maybe if you take a moment to stop, take a look around, what will you find? Places, destinations, and signs say that you've arrived. What do you think you got to get that you don't have already? Because I had this whole thing when I was younger, like deficit, like not enough, not, not enough. And that was like a letter to myself. And yet again, with, like, with time, it was like me talking, to, speaking to myself, but also wanting others to think about that if they're like me. You need to, you, if you like me, better think about it because how many chances are you gonna get? 